You're listening to Upstream, a production of the open source and standards team at Red Hat. For more podcasts and updates, visit community.redhat.com or follow us on Twitter at Red Hat Open. Hi, this is Joe Brockmeyer, your host for this episode of Upstream. This next podcast is from a discussion I had with Bradley Kuhn of the Software Freedom Conservancy, recorded at the 12th Annual Southern California Linux Expo, otherwise known as SCALE. We covered quite a few interesting topics in this interview, so I'm going to cut straight to the live interview. I'm live at SCALE, and I'm talking to Bradley Kuhn. I'll let him introduce himself, because the man actually wears many hats. True enough. I'm Bradley Kuhn. I'm pretty well known in the free software world for a bit of a long time now. My primary role is I'm president of an organization called the Software Freedom Conservancy, which is a nonprofit home for open source and free software projects. My other volunteer role, I'm also on the board of directors of the Free Software Foundation as well. So let's talk first about Conservancy and what's going on there, especially new projects, anything exciting this year, what you've been talking about at scale, because I understand that your talk here at scale kind of dovetailed with the new initiative? That's absolutely correct. One of the things we launched last year was a fundraising campaign to raise funds to build software for accounting needs for nonprofit organizations, particularly fiscal sponsorship organizations. Over the last 15 years I've been doing nonprofit work, I really discovered that the accounting software that's free software is just not up to par and not complete enough for what nonprofits need. And you see this most in organizations like Conservancy and the Free Software Foundation, where we only use free software for our operations. We do struggle a lot that the software that our annual auditors want to see, the output they want to see, it's not really there. And so we've been working on that to improve that software, not just for Conservancy ourselves, but obviously we're going to release it as free software, and hopefully it'll help lots of other nonprofits, not only in our community, but also in other nonprofit areas outside of open source and free software. Where are you at in terms of fundraising? Where are you at in terms of project completeness? What's the status? Well, I gave a talk on it at scale, and I had a slide that says, this is not vaporware. And then I said, if I have to put a slide that says it's not vaporware, you should be worried it's vaporware. But in fact, we did a proof of concept of an accounting API library. One of the things we discovered as we started our project, the first job we did was evaluate all the free software that was out there that already did accounting and see what was there. And I found a lot of reinvention at the wheel. Pretty much everybody re-implements double-entry accounting over and over again. So our first task is really to write a good library that has a REST API for doing basic double-entry accounting first and then build on top of that. So we've got a proof of concept done for that, and we're going to put more time on it. Obviously, we need donations. If people would like to support us, they can go to SF conservancy.org slash campaign and donate for the effort. And I'm working on a plan whereby I pre-announce this at scale, so it's, it's now public, and more will be coming in a month or so. I'm going to work to get to 50% of my time personally at Conservancy is going to be devoted to this project this year. Now, when you say 50% of your time, are you actually going to be doing the development, or are you talking about the fundraising and, and things like that? I'm going to be doing development and project leadership for 50% of my time, starting pretty soon. So I'm pretty excited about that myself. I haven't been a developer regularly for a while, and I'm excited to be doing software development and a free software project leadership again. So I'm looking forward to it just personally to get into that again. I hope I still remember how to code. I, I think I do, and how to lead a project. We really need to get it going, and if not me, who? Because I understand nonprofit accounting, having done this for so many years, and I used to be a developer once upon a time. So I'm really the right person, I think, to take charge of this project. 
What is the status of Conservancy outside of this added new projects? How are you guys doing on your funding goals this year? I'd like to hear a little bit about the state of Conservancy, if you will. The state of Conservancy is strong. We regularly add new projects. We always have projects that are asking to join. An interesting thing happens where projects really have to need something to want to join. They'll, they'll apply to us because they have a donation they want to take or something like that. If that lead goes away, they kind of like, well, maybe we don't need to join now. But we did have two projects join late last year, new members, BuildBot, which is a continuous integration system written in Python that many of your listeners will probably be familiar with. And another project that your listeners might not be so familiar with is called Open Trip Planner. This was a project started by a different nonprofit called Open Plans, which was funding it for a number of years, but they weren't able to do so anymore, and Conservancy is taking it over to give it a home going forward. It's a project to make things like subway easier and finding buses and what buses in your city are there and all that sort of thing. It's actually used by Portland Public Transit System, and so there are users out there of this free software code base, and we're going to provide a home for it now that Open Plans hasn't been able to continue with it because they had to defund the project. So, so we're happy to be the home that something lands when it needs a new home and needs a little bit smaller scale kind of home, so that's what we provide for it. And how are you doing in general for Conservancy, raising money to keep the lights on and pay your salary? Because of course, um, well, actually, maybe you should explain. I, I kind of have, have talked to you about this a couple times, but maybe my entire audience has not. Tell me about how your funding comes versus the funding for the projects. Conservancy is an interesting structure. We're something called a fiscal sponsor organization. That's the nonprofit geeky term about it. What it means is that we provide a home to these projects, and we allow them to receive money as donations to their own projects. So you can go to our website or the project websites, and you can donate directly to our projects, and we keep that in an earmarked fund for them so that they can use it for their expenses, things like sending developers to conferences and those kinds of expenses, server costs, anything like that. If the project raises a large amount of money, we actually put people on contract. So PyPy is one of our wealthier projects, if you will. They've done very good with their fundraising. They have a couple of developers on contract writing code for PyPy. That's our work to manage that money, and obviously we need to support our work doing that. So the two ways we are able to survive is one is the projects generally give 10% of their revenue back to us. That's an important part of our annual budget, but that doesn't even cover even one full-time person, the amount that we end up getting back. So we separately encourage people to donate directly to Conservancy. Your listeners can visit sfconservancy.org slash donate, and they can make donations. And, and many companies, including Red Hat, for example, have given larger donations to us. And if you want to see who's giving the larger donations, you can go to sfconservancy.org sponsors. And if you do work for a company that benefits from open source and free software, talk to your managers and encourage them to make a nice substantial contribution to Conservancy because it keeps us, as you say, having the lights on and so forth. Now let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the other hat that you tend to wear, which is a board member for the FSF. You did a talk at FOSDEM. Unfortunately, I missed it because I was running the distro dev room all weekend. You talked about the future of copyleft, and I'd like to maybe have you summarize that. What do you think the future is, and is, does it look good? I think copyleft is in a strange place right now. I did speak at FOSM. I think the recordings are going online soon for FOSM. So folks like yourself who missed it, if you even you miss everything at FOSM because it's a huge conference, as you know. So those of us who were there miss as much as people who weren't there, as it turns out. So folks, if they want to see the whole talk, should definitely check it out. 
the short summary of it is simply that we're in a situation now where younger developers have grown up in effectively an open source and free software culture. They've never faced the kinds of challenges that turned me into a free software zealot. I frequently had to support proprietary software early in my career. I frequently ran into bugs that I wasn't allowed to fix, and I was hopelessly begging the vendor to fix. And I think that happens less for two reasons. One reason is that software altogether is much better than it was 20 years ago. So even the proprietary software runs better than it did, so there's fewer bugs. But also, most people have the source code to everything that they work on every day. If they use a Mac, they might not have the source code to their operating system, but they have the source code to all the stuff they're actually coding on each day. And so they don't really have this experience of having to fix something they don't have the right to fix. I think that's caused people to sort of forget, culturally, not that they ever knew if they're younger, that there was a value in copyleft. There was a reason we designed copyleft to defend people's freedoms going forward. And I think we need to, to not be so afraid in the copyleft community to say that copyleft is better, is a better license. I pulled back my rhetoric for many years saying, well, permissive licensing is great and it's good too and we love it all. I think all that's still true, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong to say some people believe copyleft is a better way to license free software. Do you have hope that there's going to be an ability to change the tide as it is right now with people going for more permissive licenses? Or, you know, how do we get there where people re-embrace copyleft? I'm a pessimist by nature, and I think we're headed for somewhat of some dark ages. I think things like, like LLVM, which is a huge threat to GCC. I can't even as an FCF director sit here and say, oh, GCC is doing great, and LLVM is no threat at all. LLVM is gaining traction. And it's permissively licensed, so it is free software. And that's well-known, and that's good. The problem is, because it's permissively licensed, already there are a few companies that sell proprietary plugins for LLVM. And I think the compiler of the future is sadly going to be your main core LLVM is free software, and then a host of a dozen or so licensed proprietary optimizations that you buy from five or six different companies. And that kind of structure is the exact structure that free software was fighting against, where you have things that are basically somewhat free but mostly proprietary. The stuff that really matters, the optimizations in a compiler situation, are proprietary. And I think we're headed for that. And I think this embracing of LLVM is something people should realize might cause that outcome. Because people are used to free software compilers. They haven't really thought about what happens when we have proprietary compilers again. Could that be good for GCC in the long run, though, if people start running into the wall of, oh, I have to license this and I have to license that to do my job, returning to GCC and focusing development and interest on copylefted compilers again? Oh, yeah. I I think that once people start to feel the pain of proprietary software, it's what turned me into a free software zealot. I wasn't born believing what Richard Stallman believed. I was persuaded by his writings simply because I was living in the dystopia that he was describing when I was supporting things like Informix 4GL and all that sort of stuff that was proprietary. So I think when people start to see that, I think it it will long-term. I'm pessimistic short-term, optimistic long-term, where short-term is 10 years and long-term is 50 years. But I think we have a lot of time for this generation of developers to realize, hey, not everything's just going to be on GitHub when you want it to be. And I think that's what a lot of young developers think. Oh, I'll find it on GitHub if I need it. Well, that won't last forever if you don't make plans to make sure it lasts forever. 
Hi again. That was Bradley Kuhn of the Software Freedom Conservancy. Since this interview was recorded, the Software Freedom Conservancy was selected to participate in the Google Summer of Code, along with eight of its member projects. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about that and uh, how that turns out for the projects and the Conservancy's NPO accounting project. I'd like to thank Bradley once again for being on the show, and I look forward to talking to him again soon. You've been listening to Upstream, a production of the open source and standards team at Red Hat. Music for this podcast is The Big House by Jason Shaw, available under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. For more podcasts and updates on work with the larger open source community, visit community.redhat.com or follow us on Twitter at Red Hat Open. Open.